One of my favorite places in Philadelphia is Reading Terminal Market. If you've never been, it's this huge indoor market in the middle of the city. Think farmer's market meets food court meets artisan shops. And what I love about the place is that it appeals equally to tourists and locals. It's home to more than 70 different vendors, with places selling groceries, breakfast, lunch, dessert, gifts, wine, all under one roof. But on this Saturday afternoon, I was looking for one vendor in particular. A couple years ago, Reading Terminal Market welcomed Dumbayan, the first Filipino restaurant in the market's 130-year history, as its newest vendor. And I wanted to see it in person. Uh, can I get the uh, Okay. Naturally, I saw some Filipinos sitting at the counter waiting to pick up their orders. So I'm guessing this is not your first experience no. with Filipino food. Yeah, because yeah. we're Filipino, so... Uh -huh. What keeps you coming back? What keeps me coming back? Yeah. Because like I just miss eating Filipino food. Because <laughs> <laughs> like I don't cook most of the time. Because like I, I work, I have a very busy life. So very seldom that I can cook Filipino food. So every time I miss it, so I have to come back. Okay, so the Filipinos seem to be enjoying the food. But what I was really trying to pay close attention to was how many non-Filipino customers were sitting at the counter. Because, although I'm sure there are a lot of Filipino healthcare workers, especially Filipino nurses, working in the city's many hospitals, Philly isn't quite a Filipino enclave in the way that, say, Daly City in California is. In Daly City, Filipinos make up 32% of the population. In Philly, it's less than 1%. So to survive in this city, Dumbayan needs a lot of non-Filipinos to buy its food. And at least during the busy lunch rush, it looked like it was succeeding at that. Most of the customers I saw at the counter were not Filipino. I flagged down one of them to ask some questions. What did you order just now? Uh, lumpia and pancit. And is this your first experience with Filipino food? No, no, no. I used to work at the Navy Exchange in uh, Little Creek in Virginia Beach and all my employees down there were from the Philippines so they used to bring in Filipino food all the time particularly when we had events like Christmas stuff like that and we all brought in like potluck was all Filipino food and it, I love it. What do you remember feeling the first time that you had Filipino food with them? Umame. <laughs> it's just delicious. It was Talking so to this guy really gave me hope because if you're trying to grab a bite to eat in Reading Terminal Market you could choose from Pennsylvania Dutch, Chinese, Greek, Italian, Thai, Middle Eastern. But out of all those options, this guy was choosing Filipino. When was your first time eating at here at the Bayan specifically? Just this is my first time here today. I usually eat over at Beck's for the Cajun food when I come here because I love Beck's. But this place, we walked by here, I was like, nope, this is it today. <laughs> I wasn't used to that. Growing up, I almost never saw non-Filipinos eating at our restaurants. Now, people were choosing Filipino food over all the other options in this huge market. I started to wonder, at long last, is Filipino food finally going mainstream? You want to order the fresh vegetable lumpia? Fresh lumpia? Yes, yes. For here to go. For here. You can take us in. Okay, You're welcome. Hello, this is Culture Jumpers, stories about making the jump from one cultural context to another. I'm Lino Nicolau. Today on the show, we're telling the stories of two chefs on the front lines of the movement to make Filipino food part of the American diet. 
In 2017, Chance Agnes was working as a medical researcher in Philadelphia's Temple University after quitting his job as a teacher. But I went from working a 70-hour-a-week really demanding job to working a job that I, um, it was kind of boring. <laughs> During this period of boredom, Chance had been dreaming of opening a Filipino restaurant, and a lot of his inspiration actually came from his father. I'm a biracial kid. So my dad's Filipino. He was a Navy chef for about 24 years and then retired and became a personal chef in Washington, D.C. So growing up, did he share the food culture with you? And did he teach you anything about cooking Filipino food? Yeah, absolutely. You know, he cooked everything in our house. Like it wasn't just Filipino food that we had. But a lot of what I cook and a lot of the flavor profiles that I try to get out of the food that we cook comes from just what I ate growing up. But, you know, I got a, a nice crash course on Filipino food and culture growing up. Yeah. What are some of the things that you did get a crash course on? I mean, like pretty much every Sunday during football season, while other people were having like wings and pizza for watching football games, we were eating arroscaldo, which is essentially like a rice congee. And chicken and pork adobo at home all the time. Beefsteak Tagalog was probably his like number one dish that he made regularly. But even though he had this rich experience with Filipino home cooking, Chance didn't have any professional cooking experience. He hadn't gone to culinary school either. He was an English major. To realize this dream of selling Filipino food to the masses, he needed to start with step number one, gain credibility as a chef. So in 2018, he decided to get some first-hand experience as a line cook working under Kiki Aranita, the owner of a Hawaiian restaurant in downtown Philadelphia called Poi Dog. I saw their success from food cart to restaurant, um, and I thought that that path was really accessible for me. So I reached out to her and essentially was like, can I pick your brain? Can I get some time with you? And hung out with her for a little bit and got a ton of great you know, wealth of knowledge from her. And she was like, don't do it. It's a bad idea. This is really tough. And she just kind of ran me through a course of like all of the terrible things that can happen if you open a food business. And she's like, but if you still want to do it at the end of this conversation, then I think you should do it. Chance didn't let all the horror stories from his mentor discourage him though, which was a good thing because the very next year, he got the opportunity of a lifetime. And I got this food car. I bought it for 2500 bucks. It was really affordable. I bought it in 2019. It was used. It was in rough shape because it just was built in the 60s. I got it fixed up a little bit. And with that, he was able to strike out on his own. He christened his new restaurant, the Bachoy. With our siblings growing up, we would say this phrase like, Oi, the Bachoy, Halikudito, which means like, hey, fatso, come here in Tagalog. And so when I was thinking about a food cart, an opening of Filipino food business, my brother was like, you should call it Tabachoy. It's perfect. And I was like, I don't know if people will get it. It's, you know, not everybody will be able to pronounce it. And I didn't love it. But like, right after we opened, people immediately got it. People loved it. The pig is the mascot. And so, yeah, it's been cool. His early menu featured mostly rice bowls, which were topped with Filipino staples like pork adobo, chicken barbecue, or bistec tagalog. And during this time, Chance got some real experience with what it was like running his own restaurant. He even started to see what his former boss Kiki was talking about. And one of the first times that I was going to this brewery, we were warming up the, the plancha before we get there. Usually we shut it off and I'd forgot to turn off the gas in the food cart before we headed out. 
and uh, we're on 95 going north. The brewery was like an hour away, and I just see smoke shooting out of the back of the food cart on the highway. And I'm like, what is happening? So I pull over as quickly as I can. Um, there's a construction site and these guys come over with like a fire extinguisher. And they're like, do you want us to do it? And I was like, it'll ruin all the food if we do that. So here I am. I'm like, I shut the propane off really fast. I come in, there's like a flame that's like from the plancha to the ceiling. I take all the salt that we have just like available right there and I throw it onto the, the flame, nothing. I'm like, what else is there? And it's not a grease fire. So I wet one of our rags with vinegar because that's all the, the liquid that I had right there. And I just like started dampening that out and eventually it went out. It was a wild time. It was the first day that one of my cooks who's been with me since then, it was his first day on the job. Oh my God. And uh, I was like, this is not normal. Like I promise you, this is not a normal occurrence. Even without unforced errors, like setting your own food cart on fire, it's notoriously hard to succeed in the restaurant industry. And on top of that, Chance was trying to make it selling a cuisine that wasn't familiar to most Americans. He had a plan to maximize his chances of succeeding. And so my whole business plan revolved around parking outside my old office at the hospital because I knew there were Filipino nurses and doctors inside. Because I know they're bringing lumpia and adobo and all that stuff into the office, right? I know they're bringing that stuff in there for lunch uh, and for their colleagues. But if I can get the titas and the titos to come out and eat the food just one time, I know they'll come back. But the universe had other plans. Well, this thing, this crazy thing happened where there was a global pandemic that essentially <laughs> shut everything down. We were starting to build a little love for ourselves and then COVID hit and People were in the hospitals, but they didn't have time to go get lunch anymore. You know, we got shut down and oh. nobody was at the med schools anymore. So all the med schools were virtual. But when we were able to get back open and stuff, like we started collabing with our other friends, us as food truckers, we got a band together. And, you know, we may not be making a lot of money gross revenue, but like we will do it together. Like we will collaborate. We will become each other's labor force. I'll work for you. You'll work for me. We'll work together. And that's kind of how we got through it. Around the same time, over in another part of town, a Filipino immigrant named Kathy Murano was working at a Greek Euro shop in Reading Terminal Market, the place I mentioned at the top of the show. She'd been working there for 20 years as a server and a manager, greeting customers, taking their orders. But when COVID lockdown started, foot traffic in the all-indoor market dried up overnight. It's like a ghost town. We do accept order by Mercato, but it's not the same. There's no people come into the Reading Terminal to purchase something and sit down because they're not allowed to. So as a server, you know, trying to make some money from your tips, that really broke our heart because we don't really make money. We only work for our hourly pay. That's not even enough to, you know, to provide for your family, especially me. If I have four children back home, I have four children to feed and I'm still the breadwinner back home, helping my family back home. It's, it's a lot to take. So you're kind of scared. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? This is going to be the end of the world. 
Between the loss of tips and her hours being cut week after week, there was just no way Kathy could still make a living, let alone send money back to the Philippines where her kids were. So she had to find some way to make money in a world where almost no one was buying things in person anymore. So who came up with the idea to start selling, you know, your um, desserts? It came, that idea goes actually to my boyfriend okay. because he know I love to cook. When I'm not working, I always serve my boyfriend Filipino food and he loves Filipino food. What He's he the one, he told me from the start, like, why don't you uh, try something new? Like Chance, Kathy thought she'd try selling food to the healthcare workers in the nearby hospitals where there would be a lot of Filipinos. But crucially, she had an inside connection that allowed her to reach those workers, even under pandemic conditions. So I contact my doctor friend, and she worked at the Jefferson Hospital. And I text her, she's like, try to sell some sweet on the hospital, and I'm going to try to contact everybody, Filipino nurses, to try your food. And then that's the start. One day, she said, bring some sample so we can share it to the neurosurgeon staff. So she had some nurse and doctors there and some Filipino doctors there also. So they came up with a plan. Kathy would make an initial batch of food and desserts as free samples to give away. And her friend would distribute them at the hospital. And then, if the hospital staff liked it, they would put in orders for more. I tried to make a French macaron that it's so hard to make. I did 100 times making it. I can't make it perfect. And after that 100 times, I did it very, very well. <laughs> and I start with ube, and ube is one of the famous ones. Ube is the flavor. Yes, flavor. That's my first ube flavor macarons. And damn, it's so good. <laughs> she ended up making 25 ube macarons, as well as a classic Filipino dessert, the ube cake roll. And she made sure to provide some savory options too like empanadas and a rolled meatloaf called embutido. So I bring it there. She said, okay, our lunchtime is 11.30, so wait until one hour. Then she gave it away, the sample to the doctor and nurses. And after like my phone ring, like around 12.45, I will never forget that. And my girlfriend said, Kathy, guess what? What? Okay, get a pen and get a paper now, she said like that. Okay, I'm, I'm ready. What's going on? What's the order? You have to make 32 ubi cake roll. You have to make 100 pieces of empanada. Oh and you have to make, uh, I think, 48 or 45 French ube macaron. Nah, you're full of shit. I said, you're full of shit. I'm like, no, I'm not joking, Kathy. Everybody loves your stuff. And I said, when do you need this one? I'm going to need this in two days. So you have to bring it over in two days. Okay, can I handle it? You got to handle it. You start with it. I'm like, I'm telling you, when I've had my first order, I have tears in my eyes in my kitchen, making all of this. And I can't believe, wow, they love my stuff. Kathy had found an audience. She named her operation Runner's Sweets and Treats, a reference to her hobby as a marathon runner. And week after week, that operation kept growing. When she started taking orders over Facebook, everyone in her network started ordering, including her friends from her running club. But the people that picking up by Facebook, 
they have to go on my street and my street is dead end. So every weekend I have so much order, like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that's always my big orders it's because all my co-running friends are off. So there is a point in my life that my neighbors say, what is going on on your house? Every time the street is like, it's like traffic. I'm like, yeah, they, they order something from me. It's every day is traffic. Pretty soon, the demand was growing beyond what her home kitchen could handle. And Johnny's like saying to me, babe, you're going to make this serious now because people love your stuff. And I'm like, you think? And then it's like, yeah, what are you waiting for? This is your chance, you know? I think this is the chance that you have to accept the fact that you're a good chef. And then he said, I'm going to ask you one question and answer it wisely. I'm like, Okay, oh boy. I say, oh boy, what is going on? And then he asked me, so do you want a ring or a restaurant? That is the pop-up question. And in one minute I say, hell, I want a restaurant. <laughs> hell, you know my answer. I don't like a ring. A ring, I could lose that. But restaurant, I can make money on that. And we can make it more. I can buy 10 rings with the restaurant. Kathy and her partner decided it was only fitting to try to open a restaurant in the same place where she had worked for over 20 years, Reading Terminal Market. But in order to do that, Kathy needed to establish her credibility as a chef, although in a completely different way than Chance had to do with the Bachoy. First, to become a merchant at Reading Terminal, you need to submit a proposal. The first question asked is like, why do you think you're appropriate to be at Reading Terminal Market? You have to have a unique food to serve the locals yeah. and non-locals. So for me, as a Filipino, this is what I answer to them. Like, while I'm working at uh, Olympio for 21 years, everybody's asking why there's no Filipino food here. It's the same question I ask myself. I think this is the chance that I have to put Filipino restaurant. And I think... I'm not just bringing my culture, but I'm also bringing the story of where I grew up and share to everybody that Filipino food are amazing food that all around the world can enjoy it. And then, if your proposal gets approved, you need to do a tasting with all the board members of the market. The tasting is kind of scary and tough. Like when I did my tasting, all the big board members of Reading Terminal has to be there. Were any of them Filipino? No, nobody. Luckily, Kathy saw a familiar face. And when I first get into the office, the first thing I see is one of the women that I know that I always have joke on her every time. I thought she only worked at the terminal as the tourist guide. I always play around with her. I always tap her like, your hair is so pretty. And I don't even know, like, when I first saw her there, I'm like, oh, hi, how are you? What are you, do what are you doing here? I'm doing my first tasting here and to show the board members. Kathy, I'm one of the board members. I'm like, oh my God. And I'm like, I treat her like just simple friend, a simple person that I know that walking on Reading Terminal as a tourist guy, but she's not. She's one of the board members. I have to choose the best food so you can impress them. So the first thing I choose is 
Halo Halo, it calls Mix Mix. So it's like crushed ice with some of our Filipino dessert in there with matching my uh, very own Filipino ice cream, the ubi ice cream. That's the number one dessert I choose and one of the famous rice noodle, the pancit. I did that on my tasting. One of the famous dessert back home is the turon. It's like an egg roll wrap with the plantain with caramelized brown sugar on it. And you have to choose of your menu what's the best thing. Like for example, if you're serving breakfast, what's the best number one breakfast that you could uh, show the board members that will attract people? And I choose Topsy Log for my breakfast, one of a kind. It's served with um, marinated beef, with sunny side egg, and your very own fried rice. And then after that, they gotta, they gotta decide what they're gonna feel, if they're gonna pass you or not. So they let us go out first. And after we do the tasting, the presentation, they give us, uh, I think, like 10 minutes to get out. It's scary. It's kind of scary, really. I, I really, I'm so scared. It's like, a, it's like you're auditioning to something. Like you have to impress the people to get what you really want. And after 10 minutes, they called us back and they told us, welcome to Reading Terminal Market. Step two in opening a Filipino restaurant is getting people to try the food. And it's actually kind of crazy that we're still at this stage. Filipinos have been immigrating to America since the early 1900s, and yet our food hasn't made the kind of inroads into the American diet that other Asian countries have, like Chinese, Japanese, Korean, heck, even other fellow Southeast Asian countries, like Thai and Vietnamese. It honestly makes me kind of jealous sometimes. That's why I'm really interested in how this generation of Filipinos is trying to convince Americans to try cuisine that they may have never heard of before. What's the secret? And what I do want is for Filipino food to be in every Philadelphian's diet and doing that by creating accessible space. At the Bachoy, Chance has been trying to baby step people into Filipino cuisine. And sometimes that involves modifying some classic Filipino dishes to make them just a little bit more familiar. I love traditional seasick, right? I love the pig head with the snout, with the tail, with any of the offal that's in there. Like, that sounds awesome. At the restaurant, we do it with pork belly. We don't add the ears yet. And we go to like Bucks County. And people want good food up there. But if you start talking about like pig head or denigu'an, like pork blood stew and things like that, that on a menu can be off-putting. Not that it's not delicious, but I think I understand the clientele of, depending on where I was, of like, this is what I think I can make money on. Other times, Chance would infuse well-known American dishes with Filipino ingredients. And it's introducing people to Filipino food and culture, but using a dish that people can understand. We're introducing pandan to people through a cheesecake right now. People are like, what's pandan? And I was like, just think of it as Asian vanilla. Like in Southeast Asia, it's just a baseline flavor. It's a leafy green that if it's concentrated too much, it could taste grassy. But when done right, it's just like a really nice floral, earthy aroma, and it tastes great. We have bagu'ung in a salad right now at Tabachoy. And for people who don't know, bagu'ung is like a fermented shrimp paste. 
It's funky. It's wild. We put it in a Caesar salad and people think fermented shrimp paste, that's odd. But then I'm like, no, but you eat anchovy because that's in a traditional Caesar salad. This approach also led to one of Chance's most famous creations, the beefsteak cheesesteak. We put a cheesesteak on the menu at breweries because, and I, I got kind of hurt by it when I, a brewery asked me, they were like, hey, you're doing rice bowls. People love your rice bowls. Can you do, and the word was game day food. Can you do game day food? And I was like, dude, I'm, uh, we're a Filipino food truck. <laughs> like I grew up, you know, I was just talking about how on Sundays we ate Arascaldo during football season. That's my game day food is like Arascaldo. It's not a cheesesteak. It's, you know, it's the comforts of like, it's 30 degrees outside in the middle of November and we're sitting at home, you know, eating a huge bowl of, you know, rice porridge with chicken and a bunch of veg and boiled eggs and all that stuff in it. So when he asked me to do that, I was like, I could have taken the approach of like, no, I'm not going to do that. Or I could have taken the approach of, well, maybe he knows his clientele and maybe I can make more money by doing this, but I still am going to do it my way. And so we made a cheesesteak with beefsteak Tagalog. And beefsteak Tagalog, for those who don't know, is... Yeah, it's a, uh, so we use a thinly sliced sirloin steak that is marinated soy and citrus, ton of onions in it. It's something I grew up eating all the time. And so we made a cheesesteak with beefsteak Tagalog. We put a chara on it. We made a house-made cheese whiz. It was something that I was like, okay, well, we'll make it accessible for you, but you have to come to our level too. The beefsteak cheesesteak was a hit. But doing Filipino and American fusion like this wasn't a guarantee of success. It was a high-wire balancing act that Chance didn't always get right. Like the time when he tried to do his own spin on a classic Filipino soup dish. I was doing dishes that I liked and I thought were good, but they were a little too accommodating, right? I was doing a salmon synagogue on the menu and it was not sour enough for Filipinos and it was too sour for non-Filipinos. And I was like, I'm not winning at all. And so... I take the approach when making my dishes that I just am like, now more than ever, I'm just like, dude, I just want to eat really good food. And if there's no heart behind it, if there's no soul behind it, and it doesn't taste good, then it's just not worth putting out anymore. Back over in Reading Terminal Market, Kathy Morano was ready to start pitching her take on Filipino food to the unfamiliar masses. All she needed was foot traffic to her newly opened restaurant, Dambayan, which means a place to hang out. Unfortunately, Kathy had the bad luck of opening in the summer of 2021, which you may remember was still during the height of COVID times. Even though people were starting to get vaccinated and venture out of their houses, Many still weren't quite ready to hang out in the close quarters of an indoor market again. Yeah, actually that point, that time, that year is tough. It's tough for me. It's tough for Tambayan. So Reading Terminal is right next door to convention center. So when there's a conventions going on, like a big event, like big corporate, they come to Reading Terminal Market. Without conventions, I think I can't exist there. Here, Kathy's referring to the Pennsylvania Convention Center, which usually hosts large events that thousands of people attend, like the Philadelphia Flower Show, the Auto Show, Marathon Expos, Comic Cons, you name it. All of those went away with COVID. And when Kathy first opened Thumbayan, they had yet to come back. And 
How long was that period when there were no... It's almost one year. Yeah, no schedule of conventions, no running festival, nothing going on in the city. That's a tough one. It must have been really nerve-wracking. Oh, yes. You don't even know. You know, when, especially when you can't pay your rent in two months, that's a lot to take. <laughs> you need to, what, what I'm going to do? In that four months, six months of no sales, it stopped because our payroll, our rent, we have to put it everything on our own packet. How did it feel when that first convention came back? When the first convention came back, you don't even know how much I pray to God that I wish every week there's convention. Because, you know, when you have good convention, here we go. This is money, baby. We, we could pay a rent. We could, you know, rent, number one is rent. Number two is payroll. And you know, payrolls every week. You have to take care of your people. That's the number one goal. If you don't take care of your people, you are nothing. You can't have your business without them. As convention traffic returned, Kathy could focus on winning over customers with her menu of homestyle Filipino food. My menu is all homemade. No fusion, no nothing. So it's like growing up like that, it's like the same way I do nothing fancy, simple recipe. All the menu that I have right now, it's all recipe of my father that I grew yeah, up. Yeah, actually, so I want to talk about that. So you're making these recipes largely as you remember them. Yes. Like you mm -hmm. said, no fusion. No fusion. And so you have to convince yes. people who are largely not Filipino to try Filipino food. How do you convince somebody to try it who's skeptical? It's tough, but when you try to explain to them what's in there, the way you make it, the way you marinate it, what's so special about the tapsalo? That's the first question they always ask me. What's so special about it? Okay, the special about it is the way we marinate it. We marinate it for 24 hours. You could let it sit there for like a week or so. And tapsilog is all about the fried rice too. When you make the fried rice, it has to be the garlic fried rice. It's all about the garlic and all the ingredients of it. That makes people like not to think twice. Because when you explain how we do it, they're like, give me that. I don't mind. It sounds delicious already. I have to admit, I was kind of skeptical that just describing the food was enough to win people over. But what I later realized was that if there was anyone who could pull it off, it would be Kathy. She'd spent over 20 years serving customers, gaining their trust, learning what resonates with them and what doesn't. It made her uniquely qualified to be an ambassador for Filipino food. Also, something else was going on in the background that was putting some extra wind in her sails. Something that I hadn't really thought about, but once I heard it, it made perfect sense. Are your customers mostly Filipino? No, not really. I, I'm shocked too. Like mostly a lot of uh, American loves our food because sometimes when I talk to them, they say, you know, my ex-girlfriend is Filipina and I dated a Filipina and they're all American. So they have some kind of experience. Yes, there's some, some kind of experience of Filipino vibes from it, like ex-girlfriend, ex-boyfriend, and some American talk to me in Tagalog too, and I'm so impressed. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> like I said earlier, large numbers of Filipinos have been living in the United States for more than a century. And while most of them didn't open restaurants, 
Many of them were definitely cooking at home, and you can bet that they were exposing their non-Filipino significant others and friends and coworkers to all that home cooking through dinners and potlucks. I talked to one of Kathy's customers who basically had that experience. Like, uh, the lumpia, could you describe first what it is and what it tasted like? Oh, when so you- yeah, that's interesting because I actually I learned to make it. Like uh-huh. I learned to make the shells and everything, and uh, it's just it's like an egg roll, but um, it's a softer wrap, and then with the different fillings on the inside of it. My actually first experience in that was with high school with a friend of mine that was Filipino, and his stepmom used to make it, and I never knew what it was called. It, and used to eat at his house all the time. My theory is that, like a slow marinating process, Filipino food has been penetrating the American palate over the course of decades. A lot of Americans have been ready for a Filipino food explosion. All we were waiting for was a brave Filipino chef to come along and open a restaurant. And maybe that restaurant didn't have to compromise. It didn't need to be fusion to be accepted. Our cuisine could be traditional. Authentic. But wait, what does it actually mean to be authentic? In theory, it seems pretty simple. Authentic food is as it came from the motherland, unspoiled by fusion with the local culture. But the tricky thing about applying that logic to Filipino food is that, quote, authentic food in the Philippines is already fusion. Like, we have empanadas, which clearly come from the Spanish colonial influence. Our noodle dish, bansit, comes from the Chinese influence. There's even American influence. Still to this day, friends would tell stories of like, I remember sleeping at Chance's house and we, he introduced me to spam, right? Like a lot of my friends never had spam prior to coming to my house growing up. And I mean, it's literally a canned meat. Like we weren't <laughs> right. making spam from scratch. And it's like not from the Philippines. Either. Exactly. <laughs> but for some reason, it's synonymous with Filipino food now, um, which is awesome. So the line between fusion and traditional is a lot blurrier than we think. The other problem is that, in practice, identifying what's authentic is not straightforward, even for Filipinos. Sometimes, what's familiar to one Filipino might seem completely strange to another. I have to explain to Filipinos and non-Filipinos that there are over 7,000 islands in the Philippines. That if we all had the same story and we're all serving the same food, then it like... It, it, it wouldn't be right. The Tinadtad is known from my, the town that I grew up. Tinadtad means uh, ground pork with all my ingredients, vegetables, quail eggs, and it's made of the Filipino ketchup base in my country with soy sauce, fish sauce. And that word is different from other island. They call it giniling. So they think, what is that? That's not Tinadtad, that's giniling. I even interviewed one Filipino customer at Dambayan who felt that the barbecue she ate was, quote, not authentic. But when I dug into why she felt that way, it turned out it was just because the customer was used to barbecue from her hometown in Davao, which is near the southern end of the Philippines. She didn't recognize Kathy's style of barbecue, which is from Batangas, a province 500 miles north of Davao and closer to the capital city of Manila. So she assumed it was fusion. Like there should be regionality and differences between our foods. And that's been one of my big goals. My main goal is get Filipino food in Philadelphia. All right, we've done that. We're working on that. My new goal is how do we regionalize not just Filipino food, but all like Southeast Asian food. I love that France and Italy have regionalized food. 
I love that China is now, and, and even Japan is starting to get regionalized food. I'm like, with 7,000 islands in the Philippines, there's no reason why we can't have regional food. Given how diverse Filipino food can be, with its many influences and regional variations, trying to determine which restaurants are authentic versus inauthentic is near impossible, and also kind of missing the point. Chefs like Kathy and Chance know who they are. They didn't open their restaurants to prove their Filipino street cred. Instead, having a restaurant is a way for them to share their personal stories through their food, stories that are as unique as their recipes. I think food is just such a great language of introduction. I'm able to tell my story of being a biracial kid who grew up all around America, being a Navy brat whose dad happens to be Filipino and taught him how to cook some stuff. Without my dad, I will never have the chance to uh, share because all my menu is from him. I learned every single menu from my father. Being poor and watching him, this is the thing that he loved in life, cooking and serving people. I always have tears with it because he always tell me like, don't feel embarrassed being poor because someday somehow you will be somebody and I'm so thankful for it. Step three in opening a Filipino restaurant is to keep people coming back for more. And Kathy and Chance have surprisingly similar visions for how to do that. It ultimately comes down to something Filipinos are famous for, our hospitality. Actually, I serve my breakfast with, it's like you're sitting in your house. I don't serve my breakfast in a container. I only serve my breakfast in a container if it's to go. But if you're sitting and enjoying your food at Tambayan, we serve it in a nice place with a good presentation. So it feels like you're home. There's some customer cry when they eat my tapsilog. Really? The first thing they say is like, I miss my grandma. This is always my grandma's cooking for me. They cry in front of me and they said, thank you, Kathy, for make this happen for us, to make us feel home. It feels home because we're like million miles away. And here we are, we have the Filipino representative here that we can enjoy our Filipino food and remember all the good things about our culture. It means a lot. And when I hear that from my customer, it's just, it, it's just like my heart is like blooming. Like it feels so good. It feels really good. I've loved having the food cart, but I think I've said this before, but the food cart was like such a great literal vehicle to get Filipino food in people's mouths, right? Like we were able to do that. But Filipino culture is so much about hospitality, right? Anthony Bourdain talks about Filipino hospitality of being like some of the best hospitality he's experienced in the entire world. And so we just overwhelm people with hospitality. And I think the method that I take of like convincing people to eat my food and to keep coming back to Tabachoy is like, when you come into my restaurant, I want you to feel right at home. We're a small little tiny South Philly restaurant space. We have 28 seats. 
And it's a squeeze of a 28 seats, but I want a very intimate and cozy environment. I want that to be the case because I want to treat you like family. And that makes sense to me because home is where some of the strongest memories are made. The ones that give you comfort and nostalgia. So I had a lot of, you know, different, uh, like a very diverse friend group, not very many Filipino friends in Northern Virginia, but, you know, people would like sleep over at your house and they'd come over and oftentimes my dad would make breakfast for us pretty much every time. And so we'd be woken up by just the smell of garlic, just frying for garlic fried rice. And then you'd also immediately get hit by a frying of dried fish, making like tuyo or anything like that. So it would just be like a lot of heavy smells early in the morning, which depending on where you're from can be a lot or like the perfect thing. So having friends over, they always loved it. To this day, Chance's friends still tell stories about the food that they had those mornings after sleeping over at his house. And that's the kind of experience that Chance, Kathy, and hundreds of other Filipino chefs across the country are hoping you'll have the next time that you visit them. And so I convince people to come into my restaurant because I'm like, look, this is home. This is home for me. I want this to be home for you. And we'll make the food warm. We'll make the food tasty and very comfortable. But we want you to really enjoy yourself. And I think that's been the big kicker and people coming back. Today's episode of Culture Jumpers was hosted by me, Lionel Nicolau. It was produced, written, and edited by Ilana Whites and me. Music by Ilana Whites. If you're in the Philly area, check out Thambayan and Tabachoy. We'll include their info in the show notes. We also want to hear from you. Let us know about the Filipino chefs in your area that deserve a shout out. We're on Instagram, threads, and TikTok at Culture Jumpers. And if you're loving the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Describe balut. Balut is the kind of a steam boiled egg that you have to eat with a little duck in there. Mm -hmm. And there's some um, soup there that you have to drink it. If you don't familiarize with it, you're like, oh, that's what, that's the reaction, ew. Like, how could you eat that? But they say balut is good for your body. It's good for couples because makes you stronger in bed. That's what everybody <laughs> say. So that's the meaning of balut.